What's new? What's new? Welcome back to another music interview. I'm Justin, the Florida God. This is the So Who's Up Next podcast, the show exploring the self and self-made, speaking with artists and people in the music space about any means by which they found success. Today, we have Billy Mac Collector on the show. Great dude. Very, very down-to-earth kind of guy. Accidentally started a coffee shop. Normally, here's where I'd put a snippet, but that's just about all you need. A lot of really cool tidbits about how to really discover more about yourself and then use that to your advantage so your processes can become sharper over time. Let's just get into it. Billy Mac Collector, nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get into like where you're from and how you got into music, I want to know about the name. What's the story behind that? It's a name that I chose for a one-off solo project I did in high school because I was very into absurdism and Dadaist humor. Okay. And I thought it would be funny to have a project that was named after someone who collected me. When I was touring a lot, I would pick up band members. They'd come and go all the time. I'd just throw people in the car and take them. So people were like, oh, you're a friend collector. And then when I got into Magic the Gathering heavy people are like, oh, you're a collector like that. So it's 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 morphed in its meaning, but it came about as a joke. Nice. I like that. And then also, if we want to even extend the theme of collection or collecting, just the way you name your albums as well, after a lot of food items, um, seems to be another form of oh, collecting, yeah. kind of. But we'll get into that in a second. I'm also very curious about your upbringing. So Tell me about where you grew up and how you got into music. So I grew up in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in a tiny little town called Tannersville. You know, small town Pennsylvania for all of its pros and cons. Very beautiful place, but also can be a bit sheltered. Hmm. But um, I was lucky enough to have a sister who was into punk music and she would give me albums to listen to all the time and slowly got me into music and started bringing me to punk shows when i was about 11 years old and i just sort of never looked back from there once napster came about i started downloading songs yeah. left and right and discovering bands like that how'd you gravitate towards making folk music given a uh, punk background i think that i've always been a person who worked out of necessity and not having a band in high school i was always sort of the weird kid that everyone was like yeah you're you're nice and interesting but i'm not gonna play music with you right you know i'd, I'd be a lot in charge of writing my own songs and i started recording when i was about 12 or 13 and all i had was a five dollar mic from the pharmacy that i found wow and a Windows sound recorder, which I hacked and like messed around with the file until I could get it to record okay sounding songs. So folk sort of came to me out of necessity and then I fell in love with it. As I got to know more about folk, I found musicians like Woody Guthrie, who had sort of a political or raw edge to their music. And that just made me fall in love with it more. I like that a lot. Just getting further and further into the layers of music and kind of uncovering it as you go. And I think it's also a very relatable sentiment coming from a DIY background. At the same time, I know for a fact that you've worked with a bunch of people over the years and you've been releasing music, at least I'm looking at your Spotify right now, since 2008 which is a crazy run so far, and you've got a lot to show for it. At what point did you really begin to get more people involved in 
Billy Matt collector songs and productions? I mean, I've always loved collaborating. I'd say that the first time I collaborated with other people was probably about 2001 or two. What I do was I had I would just write all day, just like absurdist poetry all through high school. And I'd invite people over on the weekends and hand them a notebook and say, I'm going to play. You're going to sing. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. I've been collaborating as long as I can remember. But 2008 was where I really like started putting bands together that would learn songs. A lot of that came out of the desire to tour and, um, you know, wanting to bring people along on that adventure. And also I'm quite insecure about my voice and it really helps me to have people sing with me. And I think that other people can get across what I want to say better than I can. Sometimes I've really grown a lot more comfortable in my voice over the last few years, but I like what other people can bring to things that I write. And I like to see where that takes me to. For sure. Having different perspectives, I think, is super important to your own personal progress and growth. But at the same time, even from the get with your music, it sounded like you and it still sounds like you. And I think that's a great sound. Maybe the comfort level of being able to use your voice and things has changed over the years. But at least from an outsider perspective, I, I just wanted to let you know that it sounded like you've been confident the whole time which is really good, I think. So I appreciate that. <laughs> of course. You told me that all of this, you know, wanting to collaborate really stemmed from a desire to tour. How did you get started in touring and what were some of the challenges? So I never thought of myself as someone who would get to go on a tour probably until about 2007. Hmm. Um, at that point, I'd gone into booking punk and experimental and indie rock shows in my town at my college. I booked a band from Chicago and they said, Hey, if you're ever on tour, why don't you come play? We'll help you get a show. And I'm like, wait, I can do that. Mm -hmm. So feeling inspired for the next summer, I started trying to put together a tour. I just looked at an old Atlas and Mark dots and yeah. put it all together. And that was back when MySpace was the big thing. Mm -hmm. So I just started sending MySpace messages to everyone I could looking up bands that I thought were influential to me and sending messages to strangers saying, hey, can I play in your living room? I hobbled together a ramshackle tour through five people, including myself, into a station wagon in summer 2008, drove to California playing shows to like 10, 15 people. Something else you mentioned was during the MySpace era and just, I mean, the, the strategy for social media, like DMing people and messaging people is kind of the same. Nowadays, I think on like Instagram, like that's how we met, you know, it's the same deal. Yeah. But when it came to getting 95 people to cover a song of yours that they had never heard before, how did you go about that and how did you make that happen? The context for that whole experiment was I had just finished up over a year of straight touring. I had been like traveling mostly on the Megabus, but I had been hopping in cars with people and joining other bands on their tours and traveling around. So I felt like I had a bit of momentum going. I played a show with Kelsey, who is now my wife. We met, what was it, April 2014, and she lived in the Allentown area, Allentown, Pennsylvania. So I ended up moving out there. That was the end of my touring for a half a year or so. I got very interested in Allentown's branding. They had like hired this consulting company, paid them something like $50,000 to come up with the slogan city without limits. Hmm. And I just thought it was 
so strange and like kind of ominous in a way. Mm -hmm. So I, I really started playing with that slogan and I wrote a city without limits theme song, which was mostly a diary entry. Literally, I just wrote random chords above it, never played it myself until later. Nice. I started booking people to come through and play in Allentown. And I said to someone, Hey, you should play this song when you come here, sort of as a joke. Mm -hmm. They're like, sure. Send me the chords. Nice. Okay. I can do that. And I just posted on Facebook, does anyone else want to learn to play this song? Just send me a recording. I'll see if I can get 10 people to do it. Mm -hmm. And somehow it just snowballed. People started sharing my post about the song and it just kept going and going. Like, I I really didn't think I'd get 10 versions of it. And they just kept coming. And the more that came in, the more people wanted to get involved. And by the end of the month, I had 95 different versions from multiple continents. Wow. Dang near every state you could think of, every genre, anything from like noise to to punk to folk to soul, like you name it. <laughs> it's insane. a silly little song about city without limits, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And then the next year, few years of my life were sort of defined by that because I was like, okay, if all 95 of these artists share this song, this album with three people. I'm having 300 people. It's mm-hmm. going to be more than that. So my lifelong dream besides being a touring musician was always to run a coffee shop. So I made a Facebook page just called Coffee Coffee House Without Limits. Nice. And it wasn't a real thing, but I made it. And I put the Facebook page up the same time as I released the album got the momentum rolling and a coffee roaster messaged me and said, Hey, where are you guys at? Do you need coffee? And I'm like, let's meet up. And lo and behold, it turned into a coffee shop. The weirdest form of merch I've ever had. (laughs) That's so good. So wait, is that like a, like an actual business came out of this? Yeah. I ran a coffee shop for about three and a half years before I switched to stay at home with the kids. Wow. (laughs) We hosted musicians from all over the world and did like art galleries Wow. All that stuff. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so crazy. And it's like on a whim, you were just like, Hey, let's uh, like, this sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Tell me about your trip to Canada. So after my first tour in the summer of 2008, I felt even more ambitious and decided I would attempt to tour in Canada because I saw that the passport laws were changing and I didn't have a passport and spending like $60 on it seemed like way too much money for me at the time. So I got my friend Sam to join me and we just did the same thing, message people in MySpace, asked to play in their house in Canada. And March 2009, we set off and we drove up the coast of Maine and crossed over in this tiny little border town. I think it was called Callias or mm. something like that. We got to the border. The customs people probably it was like 6 or 7 p.m. It was dark. It was very snowy. There was like a snowstorm the day before. They were like, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're going to see a friend. They were quickly suspicious of us because we are both two real scrawny scruffy dudes just like crossing some tiny border town so they of course immediately thought we were up to something which we were because you're not allowed to tour in canada without getting a work visa and registering your shows and paying these fees so we had disguised it to look like we weren't a band we had all of our cds were just cdrs in a spindle we had lyric sheets that were just Xeroxes. The CD cases were all fabric sewn together with like 
paintings on them. Like nice. our band lineup was acoustic bass and toy piano. We did not look like a band. <laughs> we looked yeah. sketchy as all get out. <laughs> so they started searching our car. They brought out the drug sniffing dogs. And like I said, it just snowed. So it was wet. The dogs had mud all over their feet. They were jumping around our car, getting everything covered in mud. They detained us for probably about an hour at the border before they finally let us through after we said, yeah, we met this person on couchsurfing.org and we're going to go stay with them. And this guy with the quintessential Mountie hat and mustache, he yeah. goes, you haven't met this person. You need to go meet them in a public place. Whatever you do, don't go to their house. And he started getting really scared for us that we were going to go get murdered. So I guess they switched from thinking we were savvy drug dealers to really dumb <laughs> and got to our show about an hour late and it was a blast when we crossed back into the border we were so filthy and smelly that they actually took gloves and put them on to, to <laughs> check us they had no interest in going through our car they just wow. wanted us gone what that sounds like to me is a strategy uh you know just <laughs> yeah get really dirty and you know don't clean your stuff while you're you know trying to cross but Tell me a little bit about your relationship with mental health and how that affects your work and how you've been able to, you know, get past certain hurdles and things like that. So I just put out my first full length album in probably about five years, and it's called Songs About Water and Trying to Feel OK. The whole album is sort of me looking back at my life and trying to explore the ways that I've gone through life with undiagnosed depression and mental illness. I really started going to therapy in the last year or two. So I'm uh, learning a lot about myself and looking back and reflecting on my life. I've seen that a lot of the actions that I've taken have been the result of me trying to find a way to get myself out of pits of sadness and, you know, keep those endorphins running. So I've really been exploring that a lot in the last few years. And the new album is, it's not quite a concept album, but it's every song is somehow tied to that in some way, shape or form. It starts with a song I wrote in 2017 called How Tired Are You? That's just like me at the absolute pit. Like when I was I'd get home from the coffee shop working like eight, nine hours and I would just like get home and I'd drink a couple beers and just listen to uh, Beach House on repeat. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it was the most harrowing, sad music possible and a I just was like really in the pit and I never could really understand why. Mm. And it made me realize that a lot of my touring and traveling was me like keeping myself invested in my life. When my life is very exciting, I don't get as far into the pit. My music's always, always been tied to mental illness or depression, mm -hmm. but I just was never very intentional about that. But right. I came up with various taglines for the music throughout the years. Um, the first one was, take everything that makes you uncomfortable and celebrate it. And the second one was happy songs about being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So both of those without me realizing it were kind of tied to my depression. Do you have any specific practices or rituals that you use to maybe recenter yourself or get back into the swing of things? The one thing I found is that nothing ever works for too long. I have to come up with new rituals a lot. Mm -hmm. um, once something becomes mundane and too routine, I feel like I have trouble with it. Things that I always go back to include 
um, either long walks or bike rides, just getting out and moving always helps. Mm-hmm. It at least helps my mind get better at processing. Trying to start my day by really intentionally cooking breakfast. Like I don't put too much effort into lunch or dinner, but breakfast, I always spend a good hour making home fries, omelets, all nice. that stuff. Because yeah. if I start my day by taking care of myself, it's easier to keep doing that throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Making music, making art always helps but i can't count on the inspiration to be there but if i can find it that always helps my newer songs have layers and layers and layers of vocal tracks guitars drum machines because i just find if i get into that zone where i'm just like a mad scientist at the computer add this add this put Mm -hmm. this on it put this it like just takes me out of my body and that always helps magic the gathering to be great for my mental health got back into that um, in 2018, I played in elementary school and it's just like having something outside of myself to think about mm-hmm. really helps a lot. Like the less insular my life is, the better I can look at my feelings objectively. Yeah, I completely follow that. I think breaks and distractions are two things that are very undervalued in a lot of minds of creatives, because what I've noticed with my own pattern is that it's the moments when I'm I'm just kind of passively going about my everyday life. Do I come up with fantastic ideas for songs? Or oh, yeah. Like, I don't know, um, like things like equivalent to, I don't know, making this podcast or other, you know, little happenings here and there. And then also something you said about focusing on breakfast. I can also relate to that, although I don't I don't eat breakfast. I'm I'm definitely more of a any time of the day after the morning, I will completely yeah. just stuff my face. But I, I also feel very slow if I don't get a good start. Um yeah. that same idea of building momentum. For me, it's not only, you know, the long term in like, I don't know, a month of how many days in a row can I, you know, really put the hours in. It's also a matter of those micro kind of uh, plays, I guess, in every day. Can I wake up? Can I have my coffee? Can I feel somewhat excited about whatever I'm doing? And as long as I can meet that criteria, um, it's a generally, you know, a good day. Productive work gets done about stepping outside of your body. Um, and, and really getting lost in the sauce of life or in music. I don't know how, uh, how much you've researched that kind of state of mind, but there's a term called flow state where like, that's like your zone, you're locked in, you're a mad scientist at your computer, or maybe you're on, you know, the guitar or whatever you're doing. Um, for that state of mind though, not just to recenter yourself. Once you've centered yourself, you're on a roll, you've got that momentum and you lock in and you're going mad scientist mode in that flow state. Are there any tricks you have to get into that flow state? The closest I come to having control over it is having a good space set up that encourages me to be creative, mm-hmm. like having a studio set up somewhere in my house or having like a place that I like to walk to to get inspired. Like something like that is really important to me, but it's never a guarantee for me. And the one thing I wanted to add is like, no matter how many rituals I have, it's also been very important for me to realize when I need to ask someone for help, whether it's to have a friend be there or to go to therapy, which I feel very privileged to have health insurance at this point in my life because I couldn't always go to therapy. And I I wish that that was just something that people could do without paying money because it's it's been a total game changer for me, just like mm. 
having a place that you can go to just like really let that out and have someone who will support you or make you think or give you some structure. That's so huge. Like I can't recommend that enough. Even when I'm feeling good, it helps me. (laughs) No, for sure. Like one of my closest friends told me one time that everyone should go to therapy. And at first glance, I was kind of, you know, struck by it because I was, you know, under the assumption that, oh, you know, only if you need help or in a a situation where you're struggling, that's when you need it. But he said, no, that's completely backwards. It's like uh, going to the doctors for a checkup. Even when you feel fine, you should just make sure, you know, you're running at full, at the fullest capacity possible. So you mentioned just now therapy for you has been a complete game changer because it's provided structure, um, different levels of support that you might not have access to otherwise. I'm positive that not everyone has that kind of infrastructure around them. So on an individual basis for people that are unable to attend therapy, what do you think they might be able to do for themselves to help provide some of that structure? Journaling is always huge. Um, I've, I've gone back to that time and time throughout my life without even thinking of it as therapy just like writing down what's on my mind. And the silly thing I do now that I can't believe how much it actually helps is I set an alarm on my phone for two o'clock every day that says, take a deep breath, check in with yourself. Mm. And sometimes it goes off and I'm like, why did I even put that in my phone? But then I stop and I'm like, huh. And just like taking that minute to think about how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. lets me catch myself before I spiral out of control if I'm like teetering at all. So definitely like just checking in with yourself, even if you don't do anything besides say, how am I feeling? Like, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to to just get lost in the energy of wherever your body or mind is taking you. But slowing down can really help. Yeah, I definitely agree that practicing different forms of meditation, whether it be just focusing on your breathing at certain times of the day or journaling, both of which, uh, well, I mean, I don't actively like meditate and focus on my breathing, but I definitely journal from time to time and I use it as a means of just thinking through different problems. Right. But at the same time, I do find it somewhat therapeutic in that sense of like, all right, I can not necessarily vent, but I can problem solve to myself and with myself, if that makes any sense. But something else you said about slowing down. In 2021, we live in a state of affairs where everything is go, go, go. Our attention spans are the size of like squirrel brains at this point in time, myself included, especially with like platforms that enable that behavior, TikTok, Instagram. At this point in time, you've got a bunch of output from the outside. It still looks like you're constantly making stuff, constantly releasing stuff. Um, So do you think it's kind of a toxic mindset for people to fall in in today's era um, where everything's fast paced to try to keep up with that. Do you think that's detrimental or do you think it's uh, a positive challenge for makers like you and me? My short answer is both. (laughs) Um, I think that it's good if you find something that inspires you and gets you excited to really follow that and go down that rabbit hole. But I also think it's important not to burn yourself out on the things that you love or turn the things that make you feel better into jobs. Mm-hmm. I think part of why my musical well dried up is like when I made a living doing the music, uh, living used very loosely, but it became harder to write because I was so focused on 
what people would like, mm-hmm. even though I didn't want to focus on what people would like. Like right. I just, music unintentionally was kind of my therapy for a long time. Like my first couple collector albums were about all my issues with food, hangups with my body, hangups with my sexuality, just like all anything that I was struggling with, I would write about it. Mm. And then forcing myself to sing it in front of strangers would help a bit. It would at least like make things feel real. Like it would let me give credit to what I was feeling. Yeah. I think it's all about maintaining a healthy balance and being aware of when you're enjoying yourself and when you're not enjoying yourself, which if you're checking in with yourself, it's easy to tell. And after I put out this album, I went on such a spree emailing blogs and trying to figure out how to market it or this and that, that like, I sort of started to hate the album for a few weeks because I was, I was not enjoying what I was doing with it. And now I've sort of stepped back and I'm breathing again and looking back on it a few weeks later, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I did this because it's healthy for me. And I hope that it'll help someone else if they hear it, you know, when Mm -hmm. people are like, I totally know what you're singing about there. I totally feel that. Then I'm like, that's, that's why I'm doing it. Selling copies doesn't matter too much to me. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not what I need to do to live. And I don't want it to be what I need to do to live, but I want it to be that I'm sharing my journey and, and it means something to someone, even if it's just me, but ideally some other people. And I just want people to like have the opportunity to hear it because it's been helpful for me to say it. Right. I totally relate to that sentiment. Any toxicity that comes with wanting to be productive has definitely entered my mind when it comes to the podcast in particular, for sure. Just because it's like, I enjoy these conversations. I think they're productive. I think, you know, it's not only good for you and me to connect, but it's also great for other people, but it's also great for other people to listen to these conversations and potentially learn, you know, uh, about you, about me, about just the process, and then put that um, into their own practice and moving forward. I feel like regardless of how I feel, there's some sense of responsibility that I owe the podcast or I owe my music to other people or as many people as I can share it with. In that sense, it's a battle for sure of finding balance between wanting to stay productive and also not wanting to burn out. But, you know, just like you said, being aware of your surroundings and how you go about your own practices is something that I think is definitely important. Just to dive a little further there, do you have any specific And I know this is kind of all of what you said already might apply to this, but do you have any specific tips for avoiding burnout? Just because you can do more doesn't mean you should. I learned that a lot with the coffee shop. I'm certain I'm still recovering from burnout from working 100 hour weeks, paying myself pennies every hour. Like I just worked myself to the bone because I cared about it and I loved it and I wanted to give it all that I could. But by the end, like at the coffee shop, I had a coffee bar and people would come and they'd talk. And I was the person that people would come to with everything from jokes to absolutely horrifying stories. Mm. But my eyes started glazing over and I couldn't listen anymore. Mm. And I just was, was kind of vacant and I could keep working more. I could work more hours. I could do these things, but it wasn't doing anyone any good. Mm -hmm. So just because you can do more doesn't mean you should do more. 
Before we get into Billy Mac Collector's advice for emerging artists, just wanted to let you know that if you wanted to listen to Billy Mac Collector's music on Bandcamp, Spotify, and any other platforms that I can find, all the links to that is going to be in the description down below. If you want to connect with him on socials, his links will be there as well. Follow the show wherever you go. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe because I got a lot more video content coming your way. If you're on Spotify, you maybe consider switching, um, but it's up to you, obviously. I'll catch you in the next one. For now, here's some advice. What advice do you have for any upcoming musicians wanting to take their sound to the next level? That is so hard. <laughs> There's all these little pithy things you could say, but I want to give you something like real. I think it's so dangerous to compare yourself to others or to try and measure your success. It's so important to look at what you've made and ask yourself what you can learn from it or what you're proud of about it. Because when you look back with that sort of framework, you can find inspiration. I'm a firm believer that you have to make a ton of messes before you make something good. Like I will just start writing song after song after song and I trash most of them. And I try and look at that as a good thing because now that bad song's out of the way and I'll get to the good one next. Like there's a lot of not getting discouraged when you can't find the creativity or when something doesn't come out right because everything that you aren't happy with, you can get experience from. Trying to be gentle with yourself is really important because the rest of the world won't be gentle with you. Mm -hmm. The world's not a gentle place, even if you want it to be. So like be kind to yourself, respect the things you've done, respect the energy you've put into it. And the more you give yourself that love and encourage yourself, the easier the creativity can flow out of you and the more you can learn from what you've already done. All right, so that's going to be our show for today. Like I said before, I got a lot more heading your way very, very soon, so stay tuned for that. Leave a comment if you're on YouTube and let me know if you've got any rituals that you do before you get in, I don't know, your studio, whether it's in the bedroom or in like a proper studio. Let me know if you've got anything that you do to kind of recenter or to get into that flow state. You know, we touched on those kinds of topics in the talk and I'm just curious what everyone else does to get back into that mindset. You know, that's a question that I ask a lot. So I'm curious out of, uh, you know, whoever's listening, if, if you got any rituals like that, I know everyone's got at least something going on. So I'm curious. Let me know. Thanks for checking this episode out and I'll catch you in the next one.